Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Would you stand with us? Or actually, you stand. We're going to stay seated. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasure that face I never enough And you came along and put me back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love
Amen. Ignacy. Together, we're building something life-changing for families all across Northwest Arkansas. Good morning, and no, that is not the Fellowship Bentonville campus being built. I don't know if you know, but that one's been finished, and you're sitting in it. Welcome this morning. Good to see you this morning, and if you're brand new, you really are one of the reasons that six months ago we launched uh, uh, this congregation. We love uh, having our new neighbors be part of us here, and so we welcome you. We'd love to meet you. The best way to meet you would be personally which is why our Connections team will be out of the community booth as soon as the foyer, uh, or as soon as the service is done across the foyer. On the other hand, if it works better for you to use uh, the online method, you can text that you're new to the number on the screen there, and we'll send you a link, and uh, that link will give you some more information. Hey, I do have one special guest that I'd love to say good morning to and have you do the same, Debbie Rambo, the Executive Director of Samaritan Community Center. Would you say hi and good morning? Debbie, you are among so many friends here this morning, and I appreciate you coming this morning. Uh, Samaritan uh, Community Center has been a longtime ministry partner with Fellowship. In fact, it was birthed out of a community group. Don't tell me that community groups can't be life-changing places. Uh, it was birthed out of a community group in 1989, is that right? And started with an emphasis, that group wanted to just provide clothing to the poor in the community, which then spilled over to food which just became Samaritan House, which then now has developed into a fully orbed community center at Samaritan. And so would you give us a little scope of what Samaritan's all about and why you exist? Sure. Good morning. Um, Samaritan Community Center's focus is serving the hurting and hungry in Northwest Arkansas. This can be anything from families who are just struggling financially to those that are facing crises. And our uh, focus is to really be relational with our families that we work with, um, to really walk alongside them in their life's journey, to help them um, towards self-sustainability. And we do that through a variety of programs and the utilization of social workers. Uh, we have programs that do everything from feeding people through food pantries. We have a congregate meal program. Uh, we operate the state's largest children's feeding program, Snack Packs for Kids. Um, we have a dental clinic. We provide clothing still through our thrift stores. Just a lot of different programs that just wrap around and meet the needs of the whole person. Yeah, it's powerful. And I know many of you volunteer and have been plugged into Samaritan, and you know they're an extension of the body of Christ here. But in my opinion, uh, you all are one of the finest gospel-centered poverty relief community development organizations I've ever seen. And the new Samaritan Community Center is on, in the middle of construction right now, and it's a super strategic uh, site and facility. Tell us why. Well, the new facility is in South Rogers, and um, we came about the decision to build a new 
uh, a new campus uh, after COVID or through COVID. Uh, we learned a lot through COVID that there's a lot of families that just live with a razor thin margin and those families um, can get pushed into crisis pretty quickly and COVID did that. Uh, we also saw that there were some serious needs that weren't being met in the community that we felt called to meet like mental health care. Uh, for low-income families, um, the availability of mental health care is almost non-existent in our community. Uh, we have a lot of great providers, but they are pretty much at their max. So um, that is something that we really wanted to step into, as well as expanding our dental clinic, um, which we uh, have been operating since 2005. Um, and we'll be tripling the size of that because, again, that's another big need within our community. Um, and one of the things I'm most excited about is our collaborative care center, which will take our social workers and care staff and combine them with nonprofits across Northwest Arkansas that will have access to no-cost office space where they will rotate through our building, um, allowing us to serve our families in a more complete way, not only the services we provide, but those that our partners provide all in a single location. Um, this really eliminates one of the big barriers, um, which is transportation uh, to our families in order for them to reach success. And so we're super excited about having that in the new building as well. Yeah, tell us about where the new building is project-wise. It has been uh, incredibly exciting as a board just to watch it come what feels quick on our end, not on your end. It's been years of hard work on your end, but tell us where we are now. Well, we actually kicked off our fundraising last fall, and um, the project um, was a total project cost of $16.8 million, and in that time since uh, last fall, we have raised right at $16 million out of the 16.8. Unbelievable. And as I shared in the first service, I am not a fundraiser. It is not what I like to do. It's not what I feel like is my gift necessarily, but um, it has been great to watch how God has just utilized families and organizations across Northwest Arkansas um, to put um, faith into action and to invest in this project with us. So um, we're looking for that last 800K um, so we can finish up and so we can really focus on getting everything ready programmatic-wise um, in preparation for the new building. And launch date for that new building is? And launch I know date it's tentative. is Tentative, uh, it's supposed to be ready in August and, of next summer. And as you can see, progress is coming along pretty quickly. Um, we're actually a couple months ahead of schedule, which is almost unheard of. Um, and our goal is to open right after Labor Day in September of next year. That's pretty beautiful. Hey, we wanted to bring this to the body here because, number one, it's important for us to know uh, what Samaritan's doing uh, in Benton and Washington counties, not just Benton County anymore. But uh, number two, a chance that the Lord may be uh, touching your heart. The Holy Spirit may be moving on you to de decide to partner financially with Samaritan Community Center. And again, I know Lisa and I personally... Uh, just believe it's one of the best ways to see a gospel touch through practical need meeting in our community. And so if the Lord is nudging you, would you just take a, a follow-up step? You can use the QR code on the screen to just go online and get more info. But Debbie will also be at the booth uh, as soon as the service ends if you want to say hi as well. Let me pray for them, you, and also pray for our services. Lord God, we're grateful uh, for the work that your body is doing uh, You've called the church into action. Samaritan Community Center is one of the places of, uh, of dynamic action. 
And we would put and ask that you would put favor on their lives, on the work that they're doing as they seek to expand, uh, on everything from the collaborative care center to the uh, social workers, to the dental clinics, to the cafe, to the snack packs, to all the services they provide. Would you expand and multiply their work? Lord God, as well, would you be pleased with the worship you receive and pleased enough to give us the grace of enjoying, honoring you, hearing from you, walking with you. Use this time as we are together. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, David. It's good to be with the Faith family again this morning. Um, if you're new, we're so glad that you're here, and we, we hope that you find this to be a, a welcoming place and a place where you can just meet with God. So that's what we're about this morning for about the next hour together. Um, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to present yourself to God. Take the opportunity to present yourself to God. Um, God is with us, but are we with him? That's the question. So this morning, I want to invite you uh, to get out of your head, maybe whatever's going on in your mind, wherever you came from or where you're going to this week, um, just uh, not to avoid those, but to set those before the Lord and, uh, and then just present yourself to him through worship. We're going to sing some, we're going to pray, we're going to hear the word taught, um, the typical church service, but I want to invite you to engage it. Be here, be with us, be with one another and be with God. Are you with me? Let's do it. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song, and you are good, good. Oh, you are good, good. with me. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, be anchor in the waves. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my song. And you i 
Father, thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that our sensitivity to um, all that you've given us uh, would just be raised this morning. That we would just be aware of all the good things in our lives, even in the midst of circumstances that may be difficult, um, to just acknowledge your presence, your good presence among us. God, as we offer our, our offering, our tithes and offerings, may it not just be a religious thing that we do. May it not be a duty at all. God, may it just be an offering, an overflow of gratitude for all that you've given. And God, may it teach us more and more how to be a generous people outside of this place in our relationships and uh, all that we do. God, teach us to abide in you.
Father, thank you for your spirit. Jesus, thank you for the work you've done, the work you're doing. God, I thank you that uh, when we invite you into our lives, you come, but you also invite us into your life. And so, God, would you teach us what it looks like to enter more fully into the life that you offer us, the abundant life. So, God, as uh, Doug comes to teach us this morning, God, would you, by your spirit, teach us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Go ahead and be finding Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 32 for our study this morning. We are in eight, week 8 of our study through Ephesians. Um, I hope it has been fruitful in your life. I hope you've really enjoyed digging in and, and learning some of the, uh, the great things that we've been studying and uh, that has been a blessing to you. Last week, we started in chapter 4, verse 1, with the statement, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then this week in chapter, in verse 17, uh, we're going to look where it says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So when we read the word walk in these passages, what does it mean? Well, the, the word that, that's translated walk means literally to walk around. And it could be used for taking a walk around the park. It could be used for taking a walk around the track, walking around in circles. It could be used a lot of different ways. But what we find in, in uh, this letter to the Ephesians is Paul's going to use this word five times between chapter 4, verse 1, and, and the end of chapter 5. And so he uses this word in a particular way. So, for example, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He tells us to walk in love, to walk as children of the light, to walk not as unwise, but as wise. So when you look at the context of how he uses this word, we can see that he's referring to how we behave, how we live, and how we can conduct our lives. So he's not just talking about walking around. He's talking about our way of life the way that we live, our lifestyle. You know, Mark mentioned last week that chapter 4 uh, marks a main shift in the book of Ephesians. So up to this point, uh, for the first three chapters, the book has been primarily about our identity in Christ, who we are because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so the first three chapters really lay that down, that idea of who are we, uh, and what has Christ made us and, and, and given us? But starting in chapter 4, the focus shifts to our lifestyle. And I think that's why he uses the word walk that many times in such a short period. Because he's shifting from who we are to how we live. And he's laying down the principle, and we don't need to miss this. For three chapters, before he ever gets down to how we live... He, he reinforces over and over and over, this is who Christ has made you. This is the work of Christ in you. This is your identity. So before he ever gets to how we live, he, he hammers down the identity because there's a principle that he wants us to get. 
And that is we are to live out of our identity and into our calling. We live out of who we are and into what God has called us to be and to do. And if we miss that, then our lives get kind of messed up. We keep trying to live out our calling and we forget who it is that he's called us to be and who he's made us already. And so from the beginning of chapter four, we shift from this identity to lifestyle and it's gonna get really, really practical. He's gonna give us one example after another, specific examples of ways that we live out this identity that we have and into this calling that that he's given us. And he's gonna give us a lot of specific things, some do's and some don'ts, some starts and some stops, and a lot of commands that we find in, in in the rest of the book. In the first part of chapter four, the focus has been on living Uh, living out of this identity of who we are, living into unity in the body, unity in Christ. The passage we're going to look at today, he's, he's talking about how to live a life that is different from those who don't know Jesus. So let's jump into our text and, uh, and see what he has to say in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The passage starts with a negative statement about how we shouldn't be living. So he says, I want you to stop living. When he says no longer live, we could actually translate that as a command, stop living this way. And he says no longer live as the Gentiles do. So if we're, gonna, if we're being commanded not to be like a certain group of people, we probably ought to figure out who that group of people is and what they're like, right? And so he gives that to us. He says no longer be like the Gentiles. So to understand who he means by the Gentiles, I think we're gonna have to back up a little bit and understand that most of the Bible was written from a Jewish perspective. And Paul himself, who wrote this letter, is a Jew. And so we have to kind of see the world the way he sees it. And the Jewish way of seeing the world is there are two kinds of people in the world. There are Jews and everybody else. That's how they saw the world. And they called that everybody else Gentiles. There are Jews and everybody else. Now, a lot of that had to do with genetic uh, descendants. They were descending, uh, descended, uh, descended, let me give a word out here. They were descended from a particular person. And so they said, because we are the children of Abraham and the children of Isaac and the children of, of, of uh, all of those forefathers that we have, that makes us Jews. But it was actually a bigger picture, a spiritual picture when they talked about Jews and everybody else because they saw themselves as the people of God. So rather than focusing on the genetic thing, I want us to kind of zero in on the spiritual thing. And what Paul is saying is there are the people of God and then there's everybody else. And quit being like the everybody else. That's what he's talking about. Now, biblically speaking, 
Let me back up and actually address this because I think it's important. He says, stop being like the Gentiles to a group of people who were Gentiles. And so he's, what would the Ephesians have thought? Was he saying, well, stop being Ephesians. Don't be Ephesians. Uh, become like me. And they actually dealt with that in the early church was how much should a person stop being the way they were and start being like the rest of us in order to be a Christian? And, and for them, those early days is, should they stop being Gentiles and become Jews? Should they start following the Jewish dietary laws? Should they start following uh, the Jewish laws of keeping Sabbath and all the other things uh, that, Jew, that good Jews did? Should they do that? And some thought they should. And others said, no, no. God didn't call them to be Jews. He called them to be followers of Jesus in the culture where they live. And so when he says, stop being Gentiles, he's not telling them to get rid of their ethnicity. And I want to say that because sometimes we, we get confused and we think our version, our brand and our experience of Christianity is the version and brand and experience of Christianity. And I want to tell you that it's not. One of the things that I've been blessed to be able to do is work with our global workers who live and work in other cultures. And I've been able to go in and visit them. And I've been able to sit in worship services among other believers who know and love Jesus just like I know and love Jesus and don't worship anything like I do. And you know what? That's okay. I don't need them to. I need them to be followers of Jesus in the culture where God has called them. And that's what he's talking about. He's not, he's not telling them to stop being Ephesians. He's saying, I want you to stop being like people who don't know Jesus. Now, biblically speaking, from the biblical perspective, there are only two types of people in the world. There are only two types of people in this room. From the biblical perspective, there are those who trust in and follow Jesus and those who don't. Some of the words that the Bible uses, those who are saved and those who are lost, those who are believers, those who are unbelievers, those who are saints, and those who are sinners. Those are words that he uses. But, but the idea is there's only two types of people. You're either a follower of Jesus who's put your faith and trust in him, or you're not. And you may sit here and go, well, I'm kind of on my journey between the two, and that's great. And I hope you continue that journey. And i it is my prayer that you become a follower of Jesus who knows and loves him. But at this moment, you're either a follower of Jesus who's trusted him as, your, as their Savior, or you aren't. And here's the important thing. You can't be both. And that's the point Paul's making. You can't be both. And he was talking to a group of people who were followers of Jesus, who put their faith and trust in him, who were living like they hadn't. And he says, you can't be both. And that's what this command is all about. When I was a senior in high school, uh, one of the mentors in my life that had just one of the greatest impacts uh, was a youth pastor at our church. And he had developed a, just a great sense of love and trust. Uh, and I, I, he talked to me about all kinds of things, and he challenged me one day, and he said, Doug, I want you to think, how is your life any different from your friends that don't know Jesus? And I started thinking, well, 
About the only thing I could come up with is I go to church every Sunday. And that was it. And he said, I want to challenge you. Would you start thinking about how Christ wants you to be different because of who he's made you to be, because of what he's done in your life? And that was a turning point for me. That was a point where I had to decide, am I going to be serious about my walk with Jesus, or am I going to keep playing around with this whole thing of following Christ? A couple of years ago, I had a chance to meet some guys in an addiction rehab ministry. Had an interesting way of uh, challenging and encouraging one another. Whenever someone would fall into their old patterns of behavior that they had when they were using drugs and alcohol, they would look at that person and say, you ain't got to live like that no more. That's not who you are. The first time I heard that, I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty good. I wonder if maybe we ought to tell each other that every now and then. When you see me falling into those patterns of behavior that are, that are like the old man, we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Maybe you just come up to me and say, hey, Doug, you ain't got to live like that no more. That's not who you are. And that's the important part. That's what Paul is saying to them, to a group of people who had become followers of Jesus but were still living in their old way of life. He says to them, stop walking that way. And then after that command, he then gives us a description of what that lifestyle looks like. First, he says their minds are futile. They're darkened and they're ignorant. That means they're unable to understand and see what is true and real spiritually. Not able to grasp the truth of God's word and the spiritual truths about who God is. And, and, and they, their minds are darkened and ignorant, he says. Which leads to the next thing, he says, their hearts are unfeeling and hardened. There is an insensitivity to the things of the Spirit. That, that unfeeling um, comes from the same word of, of uh, kind of like our anesthetic that deadens. And hardened is just literally having a callus over it. He said their hearts, because their minds are that way, it leads to their hearts being insensitive to the things of the Spirit. And then finally he says that they are separated from the life that comes from God. Over here is life and, and all the good things that God has in that life, and they are separated. And he's talked about that already um, earlier in the book. And then he goes on to say, and the natural direction of that life, the natural progression of that life, and we get there to different degrees, but he says the natural progression is that we begin to live in sensuality, living for our senses, seeking the next bigger, better feeling or experience, or the way he describes it is, is kind of really graphic language. He says they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have an insatiable desire. He said that's the life apart from Jesus. And then he runs into, in verse 20, a strong contrast. But you, 
That is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is his corrupt, his deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now remember, this letter is written to people who have already trusted Jesus as their Savior. And he says, that's not the way you learn Christ. And so you, for that word learn, you could insert the phrase, come to know. And he says, and the, the, the implication there is that it is a knowledge based on relationship and experience. And he said, that's not how you came to know Christ. You have come to know him personally. You've come to know him intimately. You have come to know him as your Savior and as your Lord. Knowledge through relationship is what he's talking about. And he says, when you came to know Jesus, you were changed. You've moved, to use some words again that he's already used in this book, from death to life. You've moved from strangers to family. You've moved from excluded to included. You've moved from sinners to saints. And he's reminding us again of our identity in Christ. And then he gives you some specific ways that this change should show up in our life. And Paul uses, to illustrate this, a picture of changing clothes. And he uses the phrases, put off and put on. And those are literally the phrases that you would use in that day for changing your clothes. Put off these clothes, put on these clothes. And so before we get to specifics, I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to think um, of the last thing you did when you just got really grungy dirty. I want you to kind of imagine what it looked and felt like. You were just nasty dirty. Maybe you're out working in the garden, uh, working in the yard, mud wrestling, I don't know. Whatever you did that got really nasty, grungy, dirty. Okay? And so then you come inside and your clothes are filthy and you're filthy. And you take those off and you clean up. And now I want you to go to your closet and I want you to pick out the nicest thing in your closet. You are going to dress to the hilt. The very nicest thing you can put on. If you've got a tuxedo or you've got an evening gown, you put that on. You are dressed to the hilt. That's the picture he's given. Put off that old, nasty, dirty, filthy clothing and put on the beautiful fitting clothing. In fact, if I can kind of hint towards the, towards the end of the book, we're given a picture of a relationship between Christ and the church where he talks about a bride and a bridegroom. And it would be appropriate in the picture that he's drawing here to say, adorn yourself like a bride would. Now, about 38 years ago, I stood at the front of a church and I looked back down the aisle and I saw the most beautiful creature that God has ever created walking down that aisle to me. Those guys of you who are married, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. You looked and saw the most beautiful thing. That's how Jesus sees us. Clothed in the righteousness, he says, of Christ. And so he says, put on what is befitting who you are. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. So put off those old clothes. 
those old dirty things and adorn yourself as was appropriate for the bride of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, in verses 25 through 32, he goes on to some specifics. Put these off, put these on, and then here's some reasons. And I put up a chart there for you because charts are wonderful. Uh, Robert Cup has discipled me well. I love charts. But we're going to read this chart a little different. I want us to read this chart from the right to the left. So as you're looking at that right side, that right column, I want you to think, what would it be like to be part of a community that is like this? What would it be like to be a person who is like this? Someone who is so closely connected to the people in your community that it's almost like you're members of one another. Someone who gives no foothold to the devil in your life. Someone who is generous and caring to those in need. Someone whose words give grace to those who hear. Someone who is confidently looking to eternity with Jesus. Someone who treats others as God has treated them. What would it be like to be a part of that community? To be a person like that? Wouldn't you love to know that that's true of you? And wouldn't you love to be surrounded by people who are like that? If I may, can I pick one of these that I, that I really want to focus on? That very last one has really spoken to me um, pretty strongly. A few years ago, I was, uh, I was reading a treatise by Martin Luther on ethics, and he said something that I'd never thought of before, and it just was you know, transformational for me. And he said, you know, we've, we've been called to live by the golden rule, which means to treat others as you would like to be treated. He said, but I would say that the New Testament actually calls us to a higher standard. And I've dubbed this the platinum rule, so we've moved up from gold to platinum. And here's the higher standard. Treat others the way God in Christ Jesus has treated you. That's what Martin Luther says. That's what this passage of Scripture says. It grieves my heart when I think of how I've treated people, not even not like I want to be treated, but so much less than how Christ has treated me. It grieves my heart when I hear stories, and I've heard these for years, so-and-so or that group of people are the meanest person I've ever had to deal with. And I know for, for, for a fact that that person or that group of people sits in a church every Sunday and claims to be worshipers of Jesus. That's not who God's called us to be. We ain't got to be like that anymore. That's not who we are. So the next time somebody mistreats you or angers you or irritates you, Ask yourself, how did God treat me and Jesus when I did things that were offensive to him? And ask him to help you respond. Okay, get off my soapbox. Now, if that's the kind of community or the kind of person that we would like uh, to be, that kind of community is made up of people that we see in the middle column, people who are truthful, who are able to manage their emotions in a healthy, godly way, 
people who work hard and honestly, people who use their words to build others up, people who are kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. We're going to have that kind of community. We're going to have to be that kind of people. And if we're going to be that kind of people, then we have to get to the first column. We're going to have to stop lying, stop being ruled by anger, stop stealing, stop being destructive and hurtful with our words, stop grieving the Holy Spirit, and stop being bitter, hateful, angry, vengeful, and slanderous. I told you, he's real practical. When he tells us how to live out, live out of our identity and into our calling. So how do we stop living like the Gentiles and start living like the children of God that we are? Well, for any of you who've been walking with Jesus for any time like me, you figured this out. Trying harder to do better doesn't work. It just doesn't. You're not that good and I'm not that good. There's no matter how hard I try, I cannot fix the thing that's broken in me that makes me live that way that Christ is calling me not to live anymore. So what's the solution? I need Jesus. That's the solution. I need Jesus every moment of every single day that he leaves me on this earth. If I want to become like him, I need him to make me like him. It is a work of grace. The, the New Testament reuses the word sometimes to be sanctified. Sanctification is, is the process of Jesus making us into who he's already called us to be. And it is a work of grace, but this time it's a work of grace that we get to participate in. And so there's a bridge that tells us how to move from the old self to the new self, and that's found in verse 23. In verse 22, he says, put off your old self. In verse 24, he says, put on the new self. And in between, this is what he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The only way we can go from putting off the old self to putting on the new is if something works inside of us and changes us. This idea is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 where it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a principle that says what we fill our minds with, we will become like. And so Colossians chapter 3 tells us to set our minds on things above. Psalm 16 says, I have set the Lord always before me. And then I want to close with this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. When that barrier of relationship between us and Jesus is removed and we look upon the glory of our Savior, when we meditate on it, when we think about it, when we gaze upon it in his word, when we look into the word of God and we see the image of the Son of God, when we see that, it transforms us. There is something transformational about simply focusing on who Jesus is, looking on his face, thinking about his character, 
meditating on his work. And he says it, it changes us into the same image, the image that we're looking at. We want to be like Jesus from one degree of glory to another, a little at a time, a little bit by little bit by little bit. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is a work of the Spirit in us. And the, the way we participate is we choose, what are you going to fill your minds with? What are you going to focus on? When we focus on Jesus and fill our minds with his truth, we'll find ourselves putting off the old life and putting on the new. So as we close, I want to challenge you to examine your life through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus to say, to show you, what, what do you see in me? What am I wearing that's still from the old life? And what are the things in your life that you wish would be more like Jesus? And then fix your mind and your heart on him and ask him to make you more like him. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good and kind. You are beautiful. You're gracious and merciful. Jesus, you're holy and righteous and pure. You're powerful. You're amazing. You're our Savior. You're our friend. And Jesus, we would love to be more like you. Lord, we'd love to be a community like Paul describes. We'd love to be people like Paul describes. But we recognize, Lord, we confess before you right now, we don't have it within us on our own to become what we long to be. And so, Lord, help us to focus our minds, our hearts, our thoughts on who you are, what you've done, and let your beautiful vision be transforming us into your image.
Lord, the song of a heart goes to uh, the prayer of our life. Would you make those lyrics the lyrics of our lives this week? That each day you give us physical breath. That we start by saying, take my life. It is your own. Make the heart your throne. Lord, I pray specifically give us ways Spirit-inspired ways to put off the old and put on the new, as Doug was teaching. Father us in ways that are very specific to us, we pray. It's in your name we, we ask this. Amen. I want to introduce you to Nate Wesley. Many of you already know him and uh, several woos, especially if you served with him in student ministry, actually personal ministry, both he and McKenzie would say, leading high school cell groups, uh, also Nate leading in worship ministry uh, is a part of what they've done personally among us here in the body, but professionally. Uh, Nate actually works as our operations and communications director, and so he does that for his livelihood and has joined us, and the rest of us on staff would say amen, and we're glad, because we could not have launched the last six months uh, without Nate doing what he's done beside uh, behind the scenes. Many of you have met him on Sunday morning. He's the guy that usually looks pretty focused, pretty busy, pretty uh, uh, hard about the task and overworked, and that's because he's pretty focused, pretty busy, and hard about the task and a bit overworked. And you've been a joy as a partner here, and uh, we're grateful. I will say to you, Neil, hold up the instrument you're playing, because you took that off of a, uh, some King Arthur's court, wants that back. <laughs> Is that a lute or a lyre? And we found out earlier, first service, it's a what? Bazooki. It's a bazooki which is so different than a puzzuki that you order at BJ's if you travel the cookie with ice cream on it. 
Uh, and so thank you, team, as well. I thought about it at one point, Seth. We are being led by more guitars than people on stage this morning. Beautiful string work for us as we worship. Hey, there's a way you can help us. Uh, Nate uh, and I have been talking about this for about a month or two. Um, many of us, particularly those of us who came from Fellowship Rogers, still have most of our online profile set up with Fellowship tied to Fellowship Rogers. Now, if Fellowship Bentonville has become your home congregation, we want to ask that you would uh, go online and update that uh, and change it over to Fellowship Bentonville. We're six months in, and there's a couple of things that would be extremely helpful. Number one, we want to communicate with you better and more specifically. We want you to get newsletters and events and things that are actually tied to your home congregation. Secondly, uh, we want to even have you update your giving. Uh, now, you need to know all of our giving of all a co uh, fellowships congregations goes into the same pool. Uh, we share in that, but part of being a healthy congregation is understanding how our generosity is doing. And so if you would go online and update that, that would help us a ton behind the scenes. To make it easy, Nate's put together a, a hashtag. Just text in the, the word hashtag update to the number you see on the screen. In fact, you can even pull out your cell phones now and make that text now, and that will send you a couple of links to quickly and easily do that. You know you're going to have 19.35 minutes in the parking lot getting out of here, right? So there's already, how, Nate, how long does it take to actually do the update? So after first hour, someone came up to me and said it took them 10.4 seconds. 10.4 seconds. So now I would advise the person not doing the driving to actually do, but I'll let, you're grown adults. You can make that call yourselves. Uh, but uh, if you would update, that would be huge. Nate, tell us a couple of things that are in front of us over the next couple of weeks. Yes, yeah, so if you're a photographer or videographer and you'd love to serve here at Fellowship, we have a few opportunities um, that we need volunteers to take photos, take videos of different events and things we have on, um, on site here. So if that's something that's interesting for you or you'd like to participate in that, send me an email and I'll get back with you. Also, this Friday, first ever, we're having our courtyard nights in the courtyard for 20s and 30-year-olds or for those of you who feel like you're 20 and 30. Excellent, excellent. Come on by. It's going to be great. We're going to have food. It'll be fun. There'll be a live band. So those of you who feel like you're in 20s and 30s, you can do what you want and <laughs> be a little loose out there. Are you mocking but my it, dancing? I'm not. <laughs> but... Yes, we'd love for you to come out and join us on Friday. It'll be a great, fun, fun time. Hey, do us a favor. Pray over us and close us in service. In fact, would you stand? A benediction as we head into the week. As we leave, I want to read this over you from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Father, as we leave this place, I pray that you will help us to be courageous, to be your hands and your feet. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.